Good morning again. You can turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, where we pick up the account of the life of Abram. The book of Genesis, the word Genesis literally means beginning, and it's a book of beginnings, two major beginnings really, the beginning of the heavens and the earth, and the beginning of the people of God. And it's that second beginning that we've been following through the life of Abram. Abram, and we've been talking about him for a number of weeks now, and it's like, well, what's so special about Abram? God gave him great promises. Right? And we've, we've followed those promises week after week, and you remember the promises God made to him in the beginning when he first called him out of his land. He said, Abram, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Right? He gives him these great promises. And as we follow Abram's story, God's going to continue to reiterate and to reaffirm and also to seal the promises he gives to Abram. And so that's what we find here in Genesis 15. First, God repeats the promises. He reaffirms them. He says, look, I'm still planning on giving all this to you. And then he also seals it with a covenant, with a covenant. Okay, and so there's a lot going on here in Genesis 15. It's not that long a chapter, but we're actually going to take it in, in two weeks. So this week, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6, and next week, we're going to look at 7 through the end, and we'll actually look at that covenant ceremony. There's a lot there to unpack. But this week, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6, and that's because, basically because of what we find in verse 6. Because there's, what's said in verse 6 should stop us in our tracks. And, and we're going to basically take the whole morning this this morning to unpack verse 6 and what comes before it. But this is what verse 6 says. And he, Abram, believed the Lord. And he, God, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. What does this mean? And how is this possible? Up until now, the story of Genesis has been a story of unrighteous people. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, their sons Cain and Abel, right? Cain killing Abel, and it's all downhill from there. In the days of Noah, the rampant unrighteousness to the fact to the point where the Lord actually comes to the point of wiping out the, the whole earth, and he saves the most righteous people through the flood. And what do we find out about them about five minutes after the flood? They're unrighteous too. And so it goes. And even Abram, God's chosen servant, we saw just a couple of weeks ago, Abram doesn't have it all together either. He's not sinless. He's a sinner just like the rest of us. The whole story of humanity is a story of unrighteousness, and this is our central problem. I go back all the way back to the beginning. Our sin leads us to what? 
the death. What did God promise to Adam and Eve? If you eat the fruit, if you disobey me, you will die. And not only die and all that entails, being cast out of the presence of God. We have a holy God. We have a righteous God. And minutes after Adam and Eve sin, they're kicked out of the garden. Paradise lost. Because a righteous God cannot tolerate unrighteous people in his presence. A holy God cannot tolerate the presence of sin. This is a real problem for us. Which is why verse 6 should, should jump off the page to us like a shooting star. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram is counted not as unrighteous, but as righteous before God. And our basic question this morning is, how is this possible? How is this possible? Our big idea is this. God has made a way of reckoning sinners righteous. Or in theological terms, of justifying sinners That's the assumption behind this passage. God's made a way of justifying sinners. He has a way of doing it because he's done it for Abram. And our question this morning is, how on earth is that possible? First of all, how can we be counted righteous? And what enables this this interaction in the first place? And by the end of the sermon this morning, I hope we'll see very clearly, it's all about Jesus. It's all been about Jesus all along. Jesus is the way that we can be reckoned righteous before God. Let's read the passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We are not interested in hearing just another opinion. We are interested in hearing what you would have to say to us. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would illumine the word which you inspired when it was written, that it would come to life in our hearts, that we would hear your word and, like Abram, believe it and be counted righteous. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So God 
has made a way of reckoning sinners righteous. Basically, two how questions this morning. How is this possible? How can sinners be justified, and how is this possible? Kind of our two questions. So first, how can sinners be justified? And the answer is obvious on one level, based on Genesis 15, verse 6. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. How can we be justified? How can we be counted righteous? By believing in the Lord. By putting our faith in God. So, first question, really, what did Abram believe? What promises was Abram believing that he was justified? And we see those promises in verses 1 through 5. In verse 1, God comes to Abram and he encourages him. This is right on the, right on the heels of the great battle which Abram had won trusting in the strength of the Lord. And you remember last week how he gave all the glory to God. He said, it's all because of the Lord, the, the possessor of the heavens and the earth. It's he who gave me this victory. And so the Lord comes to him after this great victory and came to him in a vision and said, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. What does a shield do? A shield defends. He says, I'm your defender, Abram. I'm gonna defend you. I'm with you still. And he encourages him, your reward shall be very great. Remember, Abram, the great promises I gave to you to bless you, to make of you a great nation, to give you a land and a people. Your blessing, your reward will be very great, Abram. I still have lots of good in store for you. But Abram has a question. Abram has a question. Verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? What is this reward you're going to give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram questions God here. There's different ways of questioning God. There's one kind of questioning God that expects there will be an answer. And there's another kind of question to God which expects there will not be an answer. It's not a sin to question God if you expect there'll be an answer. There's a way of coming to God and saying, Lord, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I don't quite understand this, but I trust you. I, I expect either I can find an answer in your word or you know the answer and I don't need to know it yet. And there's another way of questioning God that comes to God and says, well, what about this God? And it's really more of a questioning and doubt. It expects there won't be an answer. I don't think this is the second kind of questioning. I think this is the first kind of questioning, just on the basis of Abram's pattern so far. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? I don't think he's doubting God's promises, I think he's just asking, Lord, you made these great promises, I trust you, but it hasn't happened yet. What are you gonna give me? You set out you would make of me a great nation, I don't even have a kid yet. I haven't seen one kid yet of this great nation that you promised me. You know Eliezer in the next tent, my servant, he's a good guy, but he's not my son, and he's gonna get everything I have when I die. 
Lord, what, what gives? And I don't know, I imagine this was quite heartfelt. You can't, it's hard to read emotions on a page, but this is a man who's around 100 years old. And he's been walking with God for years. Expecting, believing, the Lord's promised me an heir. He's promised me a family. He's looking around. He's like, Lord, I'm not getting any younger. My wife's not getting any younger. What will you give me? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. A word of comfort and encouragement. Your very own son shall be your heir. No, I'm going to be faithful, Abram. I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a boy. I'm going to give you a son. And then the Lord does this amazing thing. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number him. Leave your tent, Abram. Look up. Start counting. Let me know what you get. <laughs> then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I don't know if you've ever spent much time out under the stars it's a good practice to do. It's a good reminder of how small we are. As we're moving into fall, one of these crisp nights, it'd be worth it to go outside, bundle up, find a field somewhere, and just lay. One of my fondest memories was a few years ago when some friends of mine and I went to the north end of Moosehead Lake in the middle of January in a little cabin with no power, just a little wood stove and and uh, gas lamps. And uh, one of my buddies had made a little fire out on the lake, sort of in the middle, and it was dying down, and it was evening, and I went out and sat with him, and it's all bundled up, of course, it's freezing. And uh, I laid back in the snow, and out on the lake, I mean, the trees were a ways away, I basically almost could see nothing but the sky, just clear, piercing stars. And it almost felt like I wasn't laying down. It felt like I was sort of on the side of the earth, not looking up, but looking out. (laughs) And I could almost imagine the curvature of the earth. It's like, look at this. Makes you feel very small. Gives you a sense of the grandeur of God. Mm. And there's places you can't. Yeah. I, if I was Abram, I, almost, I, I might have expected some kind of miracle. So I'm like, okay, prove it to me, Lord. And actually, what the Lord does in the rest of this chapter is a pretty amazing proof of God's covenant faithfulness. We'll talk about that next week. It's like this amazing vision that Abram receives. But first... In order to convince Abram of his trustworthiness, he just tells him to go outside, which I love. Like, you want to see my ability to answer my promises? Go outside. 
Look up. Look around, Abram. You just said in the last chapter, I'm the possessor of the heavens and the earth. You believe that? You believe I made all those stars? Try counting them. You think I can't give you that many kids, Abram? Here's proof. Look around you. And he believed the Lord. Abram believed. He looks up, looks around. Okay, Lord. I'm not getting older. I mean, I'm not getting younger. I'm only getting older, but I trust you. I trust you. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So what does Abram believe? He believes the promises of God. He believes that God will be faithful to give him a child. He trusts the Lord. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Because in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul explores this verse in particular, Genesis 15, 6. And he explores what exactly Abram believed when he trusted this promise. Romans 4, beginning in verse 18, and he's speaking about Abram here and this specific event. Verse 18, in hope, Abram, he believed against hope. Talk about hoping against hope. It's like, I don't know if it's possible, right? Like hoping against hope. But he believed. He believed in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be, right? Look at the stars, so shall your offspring be, Abram believes. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Not exactly a compliment to Abram, but Paul has a point in saying this. Abram is as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver considering the, concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then notice, go back just to verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. What God? The God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Notice what Paul's doing here. He's saying, Abram's faith was that out of his dead body and his wife's dead womb, the God who calls life into existence from nothing would bring a sort of resurrection. Paul's using resurrection language here. Basically, he's saying Abram believed in the resurrection power of God. That from he and his wife, who were as good as dead, God could bring life. Abram believed in the resurrection. And he goes on to connect this to our own faith. 
What God do we believe in? The God of resurrection. Verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul's saying we, we have faith in the same God. The same God. That we too, like Abram, if we put our faith in the God who brings dead to life, we can be justified. We can be saved and declared righteous before God. How can sinners be justified? By believing in God's promises, by believing in the God who brings life from the dead. Second question, how is this possible? This is a deeper question. This has to do with the, the math of the thing. It's like, how is it logical? How does it make sense that God could take a sinner and declare them righteous? Because that's what we're being told is happening all the way back here in Genesis 15, that God recognizes Abram, Abram's faith and declares a sinner righteous so how is that just if a judge did that in a court of law you're guilty but I'm saying you're innocent we'd want the judge fired it's not justice so how is it that God can declare a sinner righteous how does that work it's not explained in Genesis 15. It's a hanging question. Right? And it's actually a, sort of a hanging question through the whole of the Old Testament. How is it that God, in justice, can forgive sinners and declare them righteous? He does it over and over again through the Old Testament. But how? How does he do it? And the answer comes in the person of Jesus Christ. We've just read these verses. Verse 24 in Romans 4, But for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the heart of the gospel. How can unrighteous people be declared righteous how can sinners be brought back into fellowship with god it's through the death and resurrection of jesus christ because jesus in his death took upon himself the wrath of god bore in his body our sins our death so that we could be freed he took it so that the burden could be lifted off of us and in his resurrection it says who's delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, that in his resurrection, it's not only that the burden is gone, but that we're declared righteous in Jesus' righteousness and in his resurrection. Right? This is baptism, right? 
dead with Christ, the old self gone, sin dead, and then alive with Jesus in his righteousness, declared righteous before God forever because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 3, just in the previous chapter, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is one of Paul's major points here is to say there's actually no way to be justified apart from faith. There's no way for us to be declared righteous before God apart from Jesus Christ. You can try, right? Try and live one day without sinning against God or neighbor. Try it. And if you think you've done it, you've now committed the sin of pride. (laughs) You haven't. None of us can. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, this is, the, this is the great dilemma of human existence, that we've sinned against a holy God and find ourselves unrighteous people before a righteous God. And how can we go back to the garden? How can paradise be restored? Somehow, we have to be given righteousness that's not ours because we're not going to be able to work it up ourselves. And this is the good news of the gospel. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Faith. How is Abram saved? How is he justified? By faith. In who? In Jesus Christ. He didn't know the name, but he knew that God. He knew the promises of the faithful God who raises, the, raises people from the dead. And he trusted in him and in his promises and in the promises that he would one day bless the world through his family. He trusted in these promises which eventually would culminate in Jesus Christ. Abram, from afar, was looking forward to the coming of Christ and all that he would achieve. And he was saved by faith in that Savior. And we, too, are saved by faith in that same Savior, a more fully informed faith, right? We, upon whom the end of the ages has come, right? Abram was only looking forward to this Savior, this mighty Messiah, the Son of God who would die for the sins of the world. We've seen him. He's come. He's shown us his glory, and we have the privilege of reading his, his very words and of being filled with his very Holy Spirit. There's only ever been one way to God. Faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved. It was true for Abram. It's true for us. There's only one way to be declared righteous before God. It's faith in Jesus Christ. 
we can be justified only by faith. Nothing else can do it. So let me ask you this morning, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? We're all in the same boat. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, this is our greatest need. You could have everything else good in the world, all wealth and a sense of peace and happiness and a family that gives you joy. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, it's all for nothing. Because by ourselves, we will one day stand before God unrighteous. Faith in Jesus Christ is the difference between everything and nothing. If we have Christ, we have everything. If we don't have Christ, anything we have is worth nothing. Faith in Jesus Christ is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between resurrection and damnation. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Have you put your faith in him? There's a great gift that's available in love. God sent his very son to die that we might live justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know this life? Do you know this Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? If you have, what an amazing thing. Let's rejoice in that this morning. Don't, we can, it's so easy to make light of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We can, we've been Christians for a long time. You've heard it over and over again. It ought not to be growing duller, this good news. It ought to be growing sweeter. I've read these verses before, but I think they, I think we can read them freshly in light of what we've read in Genesis 15. Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those, who, those of faith who are sons of Abram, Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You get what's going on there? If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you're a son of Abraham. You're actually God's answer to his promise to Abraham. Or, in other words, you're actually one of those stars flung across the sky. Right? A great, the great picture of God's redeemed people washed by the blood of the Lamb. One of the amazing things about the way God uses metaphors is, it's like when we use metaphors, it's like, if we use the stars to compare it to something, we didn't make the stars, right? It's just, it's useful. It's like, well, the stars are like this, so we'll compare it to something. But when God compares the redeemed people of God to the stars, he's using something he created in the beginning. It's like, think about marriage, right? 
Go with me here. So Ephesians 5, God uses marriage, and he says, uh, well, Paul says, um, this, is, this is hard to understand. This is a great mystery. But actually, marriage from the beginning has always been a parable of Christ's love for the church. Paul doesn't use marriage as a metaphor for Christ's love for the church because it's handy. He uses it because actually it's been God's design from the very beginning. God invented marriage to display his love for the church, his love for his people, his love for those whom Christ died, right, from the very beginning. And so I don't think it's too much of a stretch to look up at the stars. God says to Abram, look, look up. Look up. Try and count him if you can. Try and count him if you can. So shall your offspring be. He uses it as a metaphor. And I, think, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that God had it in his mind, this event, when he first flung the stars into existence. I want Abram to see, I want my people to see this great multitude I'm going to save by the blood of the Lamb. What a wonderful gift we've been given in Jesus. My prayer for you this morning, if you know Jesus, is that is that pondering these things, looking up at the night sky with Abram, would be a joy to you this week. That the Lord would make the gospel sweeter in our hearts than it was last week. That week by week we would we'd be astounded by the wonder of God's great plan for salvation. To see how intricately he's woven it, even into the fabric of creation. My prayer for you this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, is that you would draw near. You would draw near to the Lord. First of all, that the Lord would impress it upon your heart of your need for Christ. That you'd be aware of your unrighteousness. And that in that need, you'd be drawn to Jesus, that you'd see in him your all-sufficient Savior. You'd cast yourself on him, that you would believe in the God who brought Jesus from the dead. And what a gift it will be when the Spirit overwhelms your heart with the assurance that Christ's righteousness is yours by faith. What an amazing thing. God has made a way of reckoning sinners righteous. The way is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this way. We thank you for Jesus. What an amazing gift. Overwhelm our hearts with the wonder of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for any here who don't know you, that they would come to you in faith and cast themselves on you. And we pray along with them, Lord Jesus, we need you desperately. We're sinners.
And yet we know that by your death and your resurrection, we can be made righteous. We can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to you, brought back into your presence, that paradise can be restored. And so we trust in you, Lord Jesus, for all our salvation. And we look forward and we long for the day when you will come again. And you will make all things new. And you will bring in your eternal kingdom. We long for your return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. As we close, you can uh, grab the green book in front of you and open to number 16, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.